This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Underrated Movie Podcast. This is a podcast where we discuss films that are underrated, underappreciated, and ones that have slipped under the radar and passed most people by. I am your host, Derek McDuff, and today I am joined by a prestigious guest, Kyle Bridget, a.k.a. Little Cozy Nostril, podcaster, YouTuber, cartoonist. Uh, he does all kinds of stuff. Thanks, thanks for coming on, man. Thanks for having me. That's pretty much all I do. Just those things. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you you have you have a you are the expert in um, Crumb as you 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 have your show on YouTube canonically Crumb, and yeah, we're going to be talking about uh, one of the the films based on his works. Uh, maybe the the first film I think based on his works, which is Fritz the Cat, uh, which is uh, directed by someone who I've been really wanting to talk about on the show, Ralph Bakshi, which is, it's of course, if anyone's not familiar, a, a 1972 animated movie, um, but a X-rated, as it was known then before the days of NC-17 uh, film, so a adult-oriented comedy based on our Crumb's comic strip uh, of the based on the character of the same name. What are your um, bona fides in, in Crumb? Because I know you, you know quite a bit about him. Yeah, well, I've been a big fan for many years. Uh, I first saw Fritz the Cat, the cartoon, when I was like 13 or something like that. And uh, I've spent about 20 years reading Crumb. And I'm a self-styled expert uh, with the only show that explores the comics and characters of the Crummyverse over on YouTube. Uh, and uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. I don't have a degree in uh, Crumb or anything. But I do have a degree in art, so that kind of applies. <laughs> that, that makes sense. Yeah, I, you know, you would be maybe the first person to get a degree in crumb if you had one. But I think art art qualifies for sure. <laughs> but yeah, like we said, uh, this is an episode on Fritz the Cat. And Bakshi has been someone that I've been wanting to check out for a while. Not just for this show, but just in general. I actually have never seen any Bakshi stuff. So when you came to me and pitched this... I was I was instantly like, oh yeah, let's do it. I I know him by reputation alone uh, as one of these great subversive animators, one of the guys uh, that was kind of taking on the Disney Goliath in the seventies, eighties, and nineties. But of the film itself, what do you think about this movie? Uh, well, um, you know, I sort of have a lot of feelings about it. I don't know if this film is wholly underrated. In fact, sometimes I think it's a little bit overrated. But someone who really vocally hates this movie is its creator, R. Crumb, 
basically he said he was bullied into selling the rights to Fritz and uh, ultimately it was his first wife Dana that signed the contract and he tried to pull out of the production and he refused to participate and uh, after the film came out in 72 uh, he apparently sued Bakshi because they had included characters that weren't part of Fritz like they're part of other comics mm-hmm. he did and he demanded that his name be removed and uh, so you know as a crumb fan you know i kind of don't like to like it because it's offensive to uh the creator <laughs> but on another hand it it was it was very moving to me when i saw it as a young cartoonist who was interested in doing stuff for adults more mature themes and so this this movie really did mean a lot to me when i was younger and i still don't think it's a great film but it's a film that i enjoy still in parts anyway yeah it's it's interesting it's very subversive for sure and i think that you know it's it's something that it it definitely kicked off Baxi's career and while you said it might not be underrated it's something that has a little i think it's been kind of forgotten by a lot of people uh, although it was popular in the time it did make a lot of money at the box office it's not one that you know i always kind of glance at letterbox before i watch these movies and you know it's only a couple of the film critics and the film people that i follow over on letterbox have checked it off which surprised me because you know back really? kind of one of these guys yeah exactly um so but yeah, he has this reputation, and even I went and looked up a bunch of like lists of like ranking Bakshi's movies, and I think he did ten films. This one was consistently like eight or nine. So I think that you know maybe underappreciated would be the right verbiage to use to describe this one. Wait, he did ten films. I, I believe ten is the number, um, if I'm not but mistaken. Fritz the Cat, Heavy Traffic, Coonskin, um, Lord of the Rings, Wizard. Lord of the Rings. Oh, yeah. Fire okay. and Ice. Yeah, it's probably 10. Fire and yeah. Ice, American Pop, uh, Cool World. That's seven. There's that's probably eight. a couple more. Yeah. Or that's eight. There's probably a couple more in there. <laughs> yeah, I can I can pull up his, his Wikipedia here, see if we're... Uh, hey, good looking. I don't know if you said that one. Um, I, if I said... I think that one also goes by Street Fight. Okay. It's Coonskin goes by Street Fight. Some of them have multiple names. Yeah, because the yeah. Names are so offensive. <laughs> right. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I know. Coonskin. He wanted to call it Harlem Nights, but the studios, for some reason, made him name it Coonskin. But yeah, this one. How do you how do you rank this with? I mean, you sound like you you're more familiar with Bakshi than I am. How do you rank it with his other stuff? Oh, this is probably one of his best ones. I think Heavy Traffic is probably the best, and then. I don't know, maybe this, maybe American Pop, depends on the when you asked me. But uh, his career is like, he's got a compromised career, right? So mm-hmm. he's one of these guys where he's doing something that very few other people are doing. So you kind of almost have to rate him against himself, in a way. This sort of adult animation. Yeah, he. there's not really that many people like him, especially at this time period when, you know, nowadays we have adult, quote-unquote adult animation is a lot more mainstream because you've had The Simpsons for 30 years, you have Family Guy, you have all this stuff, which is not as as subversive as this is, but at least people understand the concept of, uh, in America at least, animation that isn't for kids. Uh, whereas, you know, you've had that in Japan for 
forever and other places for a long time. But in America, when this came out, I think a lot of people were like, I read that animators were quitting because they had to draw breasts and stuff like that. And it was just <laughs> like, like this was just beyond co- total comprehension for people. And it was just melting people's minds, you know? Yeah, well, cartoonists, there's like a hierarchy of uh, sort of value of a cartoonist, especially in the 70s. So if you were doing like comic books and you weren't in the underground scene, that would be very low on the list. Working for Hanna-Barbera, which is, I think, what Bakshi was doing before this, you know, that'd be kind of middle of the road. Working for Disney or being having a newspaper strip, that would be mm-hmm. kind of like higher up in the tier. So I can imagine working on this X-rated cartoon would, uh, you know, people be like, my career will be over doing this, you know? (laughs) So it probably just wasn't a prudish thing. It's funny you mentioned Japan because when I first saw this, I was getting into anime more because it was the only thing that was doing actually animation for adults when I was a kid. And, but there's a cultural difference there for me whereas like when this came out it was like it's funny animals it's playing on disney it's playing on warner brothers it's playing on comics you know that I, that means something to me so it really resonated in that sort of respect for me when i was a kid for sure this one yeah and you know you mentioned the playing on all those kind of big name studios and stuff like that and this movie feels in particular like it's taking some direct shots at Disney, you know, you have that one shot of the silhouetted Mickey Mouse and Minnie and Donald with the napalm strikes, but then you have stuff like the crows, you know, the crows being yeah. like the, all the black characters are crows, which feels like a direct shot at the kind of just frankly racist way that Disney used the crows in Disney and kind of in a way that almost reminds me of something like Mouse, where you have just kind of the ridiculousness of like taking these anthropomorphized animals and putting them into the roles of certain people. Where it's like, and that's something, you know, I know Bakshi did quite a bit where he would just be like, yeah, it's kind of ridiculous to like put someone into this role. And obviously the cops are pigs, but, and then, you know, you have the, uh, the goats, I guess they are at the, like in the synagogue, all these different things. And I think it's interesting that he was specifically like, I'm not going to use them in any animalistic way. Like I guess in uh, the comic, when the crow uh, saves fritz he like flies down and save him he's like i don't want anyone doing any flying i don't want anybody acting like a feral quote-unquote animal like zootopia or something like that these they're just like animals just in their like portrayal you know and just in their how they're being described but they're not actually doing any animal things and i thought that was really fascinating yeah so crumb uh created sort of fritz the cat in that whole world probably in, as early as the, in the 50s when he was a little kid with his older brother um, they used to do these comics called, I think, Animal Town Funnies. Just these little comics on notebook paper they would make as like 10-year-olds. And uh, Fritz eventually came out of that. They continued to do it. But they were immersed in the funny animal comics of the 40s and 50s uh, when they grew up. And so they would have been playing on Disney comics, especially like Donald Duck uh, and Uncle mm-hmm. Scrooge. Those are some of like especially done by Carl Barks. Those are considered like sort of like the highest tier of funny animal comics. But uh, yeah, they would have been into all of that. And that was just a trope then that like crows were a way to depict black people, you know, whether it's heckle and Jekyll uh, Mm -hmm. or the crows and Dumbo. And so, so yeah, they're kind of playing on that. Uh, Bakshi definitely dials up the racial 
sort of commentary in in the movie more so than crumb does crumb mm-hmm. uses them as crows and then in terms of like their animalistic behavior they do have some but it's kind of weird like the scene where duke is flying he's still got arms you know they're just mm-hmm. kind of out and so they just have kind of like hints of their animal nature sort of imposed on these these anthropomorphic much more human kind of characters Okay, yeah, that's yeah, it's really fascinating because, like I said, this is something I I knew very little about going in, but was very interested. And I know, you know, I just want to kind of dive into what the direct content of the film because I think it's you know we've talked about how subversive it was. It's doing all these things where you wouldn't expect it from animation, but the actual content that I thought it was addressing was pretty interesting. Where and I think that Bakshi even kind of calls himself out at the beginning, where there's that character, that one of the cats who's talking to the crow. And it's it's almost like get out in terms of it just being like this kind of white liberalism where you're trying to cozy up to and make yourself feel better. It's almost like virtue signaling, trying to make yourself yeah. feel better, being like, oh yeah, cool, like hey, it's a black person. I'm gonna, I'm so, I'm so enlightened, and they're actually just being incredibly offensive. <laughs> yeah, like the the bathing beauties, I call them. Those three characters there mm-hmm. when they're trying to, they sort of walk past the. Fritz and his buddies are playing guitar in the park, trying to pick up girls, and the girls walk by, and then they go up to this crow who's sort of standing there mysteriously. Yeah, and they're like, uh, "Do you know property values actually go up when a black person moves to the neighborhood? And why has James Earl Jones always had to play a black man?" <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like they're just kind of it is that sort of like faux, like liberal uh, virtue signaling, you know. Yeah, exactly. And there's even the line one of them says like, oh, I'm Jewish, you know, and she says, I'm like, Jewish people are the closest to black people or some, something along those lines, you know, and it's just like, that feels like back. She just kind of being like, I, I know what I'm doing here. You know, like I'm, I'm I realize that the, all this, what I'm doing and, and I'm, the, you know, it's interesting because it's, it is a commentary too on almost the way like Killers of the Flower Moon was this year on like, who gets to tell these stories and yeah. you, know, you probably are not going to get a, uh, someone who is black, uh, an animator, uh, would not have been unfortunately able to make this movie in the seventies, you know, and just the way that it comments on the racial politics of the seventies, but also of the sixties, because it is of course set in the sixties and this revolution. And, you know, we've seen in the intervening years, all these people who re- were revolutionaries have kind of become more and more conservative. You've seen all the boomers who were during the Reagan years started to regress and became less about the counterculture and more just cozy in, in their homes that they were able to afford. So I thought this was uh, pretty ahead of its time, to be honest. Yeah. And Bakshi's politics are a little bit uh, less like radical and left than like crumbs were. And that's actually like one of the things that he sort of had a complaint about was that like, he sort of had this sort of political element in and it wasn't like heavy handed, you know, whereas in this it's, it's much more heavy handed, you know, and it's dialed up, I would say for sure. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, you know, so, you know, you said that you saw this when you were like 13 and that you're obviously an animator, you're someone who really loves crumb. Was this really influential on you as like an artist or as like a creator? I think it was. Yeah, it did. It inspired me more in concept than anything. Like later on, Crumb was like more of a a visual inspiration on me because I didn't get my hands on any Crumb for, you know, another eight years after that. But uh, 
yeah, it did. It, it influenced me more in terms of like using funny animals and um, sort of doing comics for adults and maybe even some of the humor as well. Very nice. Yeah. And continuing on with like just the kind of the content of the film that maybe, you know, it obviously did differ from the original Crumb novels in a lot of ways because a lot of it was just recorded on the street. Like not only the dialogue that was pre-written and storyboarded and stuff, but there is chunks of this movie where he just like recorded people in New York City having conversations and then just animated it. And because of that, it you know, the fiction and the documentary style, it all kind of mixes together with the animation. It's this interesting amalgamation. You know, you have that right off the first scene where it's the it's the construction workers and Apparently that was just backseat, uh, backseat just shooting the shit with some guys. The the guys in the synagogue, apparently I read, were his father and uncle. So like, and he's, and backseat said like, he's so glad that he has them in the movie because in the intervening years when they died, he's like, I had this piece of them that exists and he was able to animate that. And I think it's such a, you know, unique take to do with animation to like animate something like that, to put that documentary-esque recordings into a animated cartoon fantasy film with animals yeah and you do notice in terms of the sound quality is kind Mm -hmm. of like up and down throughout the film also at the end of the film during the credits he plays like photos of just like new york or whatever uh that obviously were sort of rotoscoped for the background so there is a bit of a like there's like he has a very strong feeling for new york and these sort of racial and class politics and all this stuff, they play out into like several films after this one, as he goes on, like heavy traffic, street fight, coonskin. Those are all very much like urban environments that look a bit like Fritz, even like the backgrounds in Fritz the cat. Yeah. It's because, you know, he feels like, and this is from someone who like an outside perspective, but it feels like Bakshi kind of has two modes where it's like, he's either got his like, racial political social commentary set in like new york or he's got like like high fantasy like lord of the rings fire and ice things like that is that a fair assessment would you say well the thing is he was like he was trying to work so the way i sort of think of bakshi is like he wanted to get into doing adult animation you know he comes out he has this concept of it he's seeing underground comics at the time this is where crumb is working but there's all kinds of artists working on these underground comics that have, you know, sex and violence and drugs that you couldn't have in regular comics. And I think this was probably exciting for him as an animator. And so I think he kind of had this vision of taking other people's, you know, ideas and animating them sort of the way you would if you were making movies, just just regular movies for kids or whatever. And so he doesn't really have a strong voice in and of himself it's like he's borrowing these other stories so it's like fire and ice i don't know if that's from like frazetta or something but that's like a style wizards that's sort of really playing on um the cheech wizard and there's another one well i mean lord of the rings right lord of the rings yeah obviously yeah tolkien you know yeah that's yeah that's obviously taking on arguably the most famous fantasy story of all time he's he's, he's drawing or not drawing inspiration directly adapting that yeah, and I do think he's an artist because he does like his his work it it stands out and it's distinctly his. You can tell like a Bakshi film and sort of the themes that run through it. But at the same time, he comes from that showbiz background and he's a little bottom line oriented. So I think he's also a little like cynically trying to pick subjects to sort of 
have that sort of hippie audience in the early 70s, um, that youth audience. Mm. And so Fritz the Cat is sort of adapted a little bit in a way that I think he wanted it to appeal more to like hippies in 1972. Lord of the Rings was kind of blowing up, you know, it was very popular at the time that he he did that movie. So I think I think he is trying to like have a hit at the same time. I think that's a tension in him, you know? It's like he's an artist, but he's also kind of a shrewd business guy in a sense. You know, he's a kind of a, a slick showbiz guy, you know? Right. That may- he's not exactly Richard Williams, you know. He's he's gonna you know, he's he's got his bottom line, I get it. Yeah. That makes sense. Well, I think he made his bones he might not have been the one that did it, but I, I have the feeling that he was the guy who sort of came in and was like, give me eight frames of animation and I'll make you a whole Spider-Man show, you know, like, <laughs> or Hanna-Barbera was like really involved in like trying to minimize production costs and get things done cheap, which is good because you wouldn't be able to make these kind of films if you couldn't make them cheap. Right, exactly. And I know that's the big thing with the, like so much of his film, we talked about the backgrounds and this being rotoscoped and obviously just huge chunks of like his most famous stuff and like Lord of the Rings and stuff is rotoscoped and you can like it it does look cheap but it's also got that kind of charm to it it's got that 70s kind of gritty grungy like yeah we just we we did it this way but it also makes it really unique like I don't know that there's really anything else that looks like a Bakshi film like you said you can like you watch it and you're like yeah this is a Bakshi right away yeah yeah, it's kind of ugly, but there's something there that you want to watch, you know? Yeah. Um, so, and you mentioned, you know, this is probably in your top couple Bakshi movies. What about this one makes it stand apart? Well, I think just the crumb stuff really helps. Like, even though it's drawing from three separate comics that weren't really, none of them were long enough to make a story out of, and they're kind of woven together a little bit haphazardly, it's still got those scenes and i feel like those are the scenes that you really fondly remember you know that are taken basically from the comic i mean if you haven't read the comics you wouldn't know which ones exactly but you know when you do read the comics alongside the the film you sort of see these big scenes like his big speech in the park where he's like i've been up and down this this land or whatever that's like almost word for word from the comic and follows the comic for like the basically the first maybe quarter of the film is very close to a comic that was just called Fritz the cat. And it's like, that's what people remember. You kind of remember that you remember, you remember bits and pieces. You don't remember like the redneck guy that pulls up with the truck full of chickens, you know, cause that's kind of tacked on, you know, even when I w- yeah. watched it for this, I, I had forgotten about that, even though I'd seen this 50 times and done videos on it, you know, um, <laughs> I forgot about that guy that comes in. Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. <laughs> yeah, and you know, you mentioned that it's is pulled from like three different sources, which you you do like feel because this does feel very episodic, very just kind of like one of those '60s road novels where there's a character going from place to place. One of these kind of the great American novels where they're loosely connected, and like Fritz is like kind of core of all of it, and he does kind of have an arc in the film. I would say, even though the end is like, did he really have an arc? But, you know, they are, it's very, it's, you know, one of those films that feels like, here's a chunk, here's a chunk, here's a chunk. But the, you do enjoy it. And I think that at the length it's at, it's like barely over 70 minutes. It's a good amount of time that, like, you're not overwhelmed. Um, there's another film that I'll be talking about next week where it is kind of episodic, it's kind of chunky, and there's a lot of stuff happening. But that one's like two and a half hours long. This one just, be, so this is about literally half the length of that. And so I, I, you know, I was like, I, I, I remember I, you know, we're recording, you know, at the end of December here. So Christmas, I, I just, I had some extra time. My family was all asleep. I took a melatonin and I was like, cool, pop this on. I was like, I need to watch this for the podcast. I'll be, I'll be ready to sleep by the time it's over. Perfect. Yeah. And this is very much a pod, uh, podcast. This is very much a uh, movie that is tailor-made to have a little bit of, uh, lapse in surprise sobriety when you watch it you know um it's got it's got little sort of trippy things thrown in you know he's thinking i'm gonna have people coming down to the grindhouse eating mushrooms taking <laughs> to watch this film you know i want to cater to that kind of audience you know and so uh but yeah it is breezy it's fun to watch the sequel is not the sequel is terrible which yeah, actually didn't do the sequel but. Yeah, I, I heard Bakshi and Crumb, like nobody was involved, like one producer, maybe that was it. Yeah, basically, Crumb was so mad at Bakshi's Fritz the Cat that he killed off the character in the comics. <laughs> he had him stabbed in the head with an ice pick, killed him off, and then they made the nine lives of Fritz the Cat. <laughs> <laughs> which, was, which was just a cash grab, right? Because Fritz was mm -hmm. very successful, actually. It had like a $700,000 budget. It did $90 million worldwide in the early 70s. You know, like that's a, that's pretty good. <laughs> okay, very nice, very nice. Yeah, like, because I was surprised um, when I saw the initial, or the box office, because, yeah, like I said, this is one that outside of, I think, animation circles and Bakshi slash Crumb fans doesn't get talked about that much. And when I saw it was such a big hit, I was like, well, really? Uh, but yeah, it does really play into that counterculture that was so prevalent, despite the fact that it is kind of pointing a finger at a lot of these people and saying like, you know, you're you're doing all this stuff, but do you actually, you know, believe what you preach? You know, Fritz incites that riot and then just kind of runs away and like lets all of these crows get gunned down by the police in a pretty brutal scene. And I think it's it's very critical of him and a lot of the just kind of uh, like we said, you know, the kind of uh, liberal virtue signaling that I think was prevalent at the time. And I think, you know, films like Get Out are very critical of that same kind of thing today. Yeah, I think so. 
with the politics in Fritz, I think Crumb kind of puts it out there, but doesn't really say, you know, it has to be this way. So, for example, in Fritz the Cat, the movie, the sort of like radical terrorists that they they team up with one of them's like a nazi biker mm-hmm. another one's like just in like an evil cloak uh <laughs> and then there's like a, a creepy like manson family-esque lizard lady and there's no politics there where when he meets up with them in the comic and fritz bugs that's in fritz no good fritz the no good um when he meets up with them it's like they just look like the weather underground you know mm-hmm and the, I think Crumb is critical of them in a certain sense, but he's not critical in like a in like a ham-fisted sense. Whereas with with Bakshi, he's made them into like, I mean, they're cartoons, but he made them into like even more cartoons, right? Like they're cartoonishly evil. It's yeah. like on The Simpsons when they show like the uh, the Republican office or meet up, meeting, and it's like yeah. Dracula is there or something. <laughs> you know, it's like the, like so he he. Bakshi really does not seem to align himself with that kind of like radical activism that was going on at the time in the way that like Crom and other people who would have been in the sort of actually in the sort of hippie movement or whatever more often did sort of side with them. So there, it, it's interesting. Like that's definitely, that's definitely a Bakshi touch to sort of yeah. like play up the politics and to, dial up the racism and all of that yeah and you know you bring up all those those characters and i think one of the most interesting moments in the film is when those characters all basically and you know you don't see what happens thankfully it's one of the few times when Bakshi decides not to show something which i think makes it even kind of more scary and powerful is when those characters all like assault and attack the horse character and harriet thank you yeah harriet and then afterwards you have I think one of my favorite moments of Fritz where he actually like, it feels like he's the real Fritz for once when he kind of is talking to her and he's like, I'm like, sorry. And he's the one person who treats her with some humanity. And you can just see how devastated Harriet is. And that, that to me was like, okay, he has gone on a journey. He does actually care about someone. He does actually see some, some like good in humanity in people and then he just gets like he's just so he just rips into all the revolutionaries after that right before you know they blow him sky high. Uh, so yeah. that was yeah, probably he sort of gets a moment of self actualization or something at that right there. In the comic, that's very different. In the comic, Fritz is right involved in the uh, like he's the one who's like basically assaulting Harriet more than anyone. Uh, not not physically with the, with mm-hmm. punches and stuff, but like after she gets smacked and knocked over, Fritz is like sexually assaulting her basically for like Mm. pages in the background but it's also not played up as violent like it's more it's violent but there's a sort of almost like a consensual non-consent vibe it's more humorous as humorous as that sort of can be so it is very different there but yeah that's like that's they had to find like a moment for fritz to have some sort of change some sort of growth but normally fritz doesn't have really any growth it's just his his material circumstances just change basically he never has any growth he's always he's always kind of a phony he's always just looking to get laid and <laughs> have drugs and have fun and uh, he's basically like an immoral kind of guy 
Right, right. So yeah, and then I'm I'm honestly pretty glad they made that change because for me that was, you know, that like for me I don't know if I would have been able to come back from that with Fritz, especially for like a 2023 lens. Um, but <laughs> yeah, but, uh, yeah. But also the thing is, the thing is like it wouldn't fit in the narrative when you're stringing these together because you're right. trying to fit that in a comic in between two other comics that are unrelated basically, and so it's like they need some sort of Fritz needs to have some sort of growth there. So they could end the movie, which pretty much it does shortly after that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and I love that you know you you have that. I I said like I said that's my favorite moment of the film. And then you have him get blown up, and you think he's gonna die, but he kind of comes back. And then you see in that last scene, he just he's all the the characters from the beginning are back. Uh, what did what did you call them? How did you describe them? The uh, the group of I, I call them the bathing beauties. The bathing um, beauties, yeah have yeah. returned and, and they're standing and he starts to like seem very serious but then he gets right back into the fritz the cat thing and they're jumping on the bed and da, da, da. and so a cleanser basically like <laughs> yeah. the end of the film is a palate cleanser i feel it's like look it's it's not so heavy it's back to the silly <laughs> sexy cartoon stuff that we were doing earlier you know we're bouncing around in the bed yeah don't worry the nazis are gone <laughs> <laughs> but yeah i mean so that was my favorite moment did you have any favorite moments you wanted to bring up uh before uh, we before we wrap up or anything yeah favorite moments i mean i i i do like the bathtub scene um i like the very opening scene when like fritz basically from when the black crow at the beginning that the girls are hitting on turns out to be gay mm -hmm. then fritz sort of like lays it on thick from about there until uh the cops kick in the door that chunk of the movie is is my favorite chunk of the movie it's like that could have been the whole movie it's like that's a perfect short animated short and that's kind of how maybe this should have been is like more more segmented or something than it was but uh yeah i think that sort of that sort of scene and then the bathtub scene those are my favorite scenes okay very nice and uh yeah any any other stray observations you have on fritz the cat that you wanted to bring up well, if you're interested in reading the comics, I would recommend picking up uh, The Life and Death of Fritz the Cat uh, that Fantagraphics put out. It's out of print, but it's pretty easy to get. I don't know what else. I don't really have any, uh, <laughs> any other thoughts on it that no, no I can worries. think of off the top of my head. I, I think we covered um, it's some good worth ground. Watching. I, it's not worth watching this the sequel, though. I would avoid yeah. that at all costs. Yeah, and this one, I will say, you know, it, this, uh, so yeah, if you wa definitely watch it. It is a little harder to find. You can find it, uh, but it's, I don't know if it's on DVD still. I know it's not streaming anywhere, and um, you can't even rent it. Uh, so <laughs> this one, it's a, uh, and which was like, I was like, once I saw that, I was like, okay, yeah, that fits the bill of the show. It's it's definitely uh, an underrated movie if you got to go to like Internet Archive or something to find it. I think it is on the Internet Archive, actually. Is, yeah, that's there's how a, I watched it. There's a version it, yeah. on there. Okay. And that's, it's not too bad. It's probably like 480p or something. Mm -hmm. I think I got a, a nice version off of like a Russian site and then <laughs> redubbed it. <laughs> Put the audio from the other one back in. <laughs> but yeah, with this one, I was just like, you know what? I don't know that I need to watch this in the highest quality. You know, like it's, you know, like we talked about, the Bakshi films are kind of a little bit ugly to start with. So I was like, it kind of feels appropriate that I'm watching it on this format a little bit. Well, for me, the original format was watching it on whatever the 12 inch, 14 inch TV in my room late mm -hmm. at night on VHS, in like low fidelity. And so, yeah, it, I think it doesn't hurt it to be a little, a little uh, grimy, a little, yeah. a little rough. Exactly. It feels like, yeah, movie, obviously I didn't have the same experience, but like it definitely has that feel of like a 90s VHS tape that you would watch. 
I definitely had a 90s VHS tape of it, and then later a DVD. So then, you know, so you said that this one was in your top two or three. Uh, what is your number one Bakshi? I think Heavy Traffic is mm-hmm. sort of the best. I think that's where he, like, the most sort of gets across a message and a story. It's been a while since I've watched it. So don't don't ask me to lay out the plot for it or anything. But I think that one's like the best. It's it's kind of like this in that it's like an urban story and there's a lot of like race and class politics sort of tied into it. But I, I think that's probably the best one. I do like American pop, but that's entirely rotoscoped and very ugly. So you gotta be in the right mood for that one. Uh, I, f- I find the more rotoscoped he gets, the kind of the uglier it gets. Mm. Um, but uh, but that one has a pretty good story and good music that ties it together. So I'd probably definitely Heavy Traffic and Number 2 and then probably American Pop and uh, Fritz kind of flip back and forth depending on my mood. Okay, very nice. And then, yeah, I just have, before we end the show, one more question for you. And... Since you are the expert in uh, cartoons and animation, do you have a favorite animator? Do you like have a favorite maker of animated uh, of, of films? I should say, animator. I mean, I'm mostly into comics. Um, I mean, I really love the, all the Fleischer Studio stuff from the '30s, like old cartoons uh, from the '30s and '40s. In terms of like, in terms of like adult I animation, say, yeah, yeah, or yeah, yeah. So around the same time, maybe a little bit later than Bakshi was was working, there was a, a French animator called Pika, or Picha, P-I-C-H-A, and he did Shame of the Jungle, and he did two two other ones. They're like these adult animated films, sort of similar to uh, Fritz, but more original. Like he was more of an original animator. And uh, I think I, he's probably my favorite for that sort of era of, and this sort of genre of animation. But I mean, just in general for animation, Fleischer, I guess, I would have to say. Okay, very cool. Yeah, I mean, I, I'll just throw my own out there too. I'm a, I'm a big Don Bluth guy. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, roughly contemporary to uh, Bakshi. And, you know, I've, I've talked about him before on the show. You know, we've covered Titan A, which was obviously his last film. So I, I think Bluth did a lot of really interesting stuff. He just unfortunately got kind of his career, I feel like, killed by by the Disney Renaissance being so What's his huge. video game? What's that video game he did? Oh, my God. It's like the Dungeons and Dragons-esque one. Dragon's Lair? Is that what it's Dragon's called? Dragon's Lair, yeah. Dragon's Lair, yeah. yeah. That, to me, that just, like, that just shows how great Bluth, how great a film Bluth could have made if he had had... Like, if he could have been making films like Bakshi was making films, you know, for an adult audience more. He had he has the sensibilities for it. I just love all the animations from that. And there's another space one, Space Ace, I think, that was the same sort of thing, like a full animated video arcade game. Okay. Yeah, Bluth is amazing. Yeah, he he's really good, too. Yeah, yeah. I'm a huge fan of Bluth. And then... if I So that he, he'd be my answer for from this era. If I say of all time, I... I'm probably a big Miyazaki. I'm a big Miyazaki guy. It's pretty mainstream, mm. but like I, everything that every frame that Miyazaki has ever drawn, I'm just like head over heels for. Born the Heron was on my top ten movies of the year. Uh, I, I'm, I just think he's an absolute genius. So I, and I, I just gobble everything Miyazaki's ever made up. I mean, I've, for, I've seen quite a few Miyazaki films. I, I really didn't enjoy the 
I'm not the most recent one, but the one where he was supposed to be retiring. <laughs> uh, the Wind Rises, uh, that, the last time yeah, he I, retired, yeah. Because yeah, he's retired yeah, yeah, yeah. like four like, or five times, yeah. That, that soured my, my opinion of him for a while, but I'm probably back yeah. around to him now. He's, he's amazing, I, like, uh, like Spirited Away, and uh, yeah. you, did he do Princess Mononoke or whatever? Was that him? Yeah. Yep, one yeah. of my all-time favorite movies. That's the, one of the movies that just That's made really me good. fall in love with animation, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, he's 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 a he's a wonderful artist for sure. Yep, yep. Well, you know, thank you, thank you once again uh, for coming on and and talking with me. Uh, it's been a lot of fun, you know, Kyle. Uh, so before we log off here, where can the people find more of you and more of your stuff? I know you have a podcast as well. Yeah, so you can find me at my website at kylebridget.com. Everywhere else, I'm at Little Cozy Nostril. My YouTube channel is at Little Cozy Nostril, and that's where I do uh, Canonically Crumb, which is like a series exploring uh, characters and comics of R. Crumb's Crummyverse. And I have a podcast that is uh, Mad Magazine sort of centric. I was in Mad Magazine for a number of years. That's called Potter ZB. And that's a comic book nerd cast that dares to ask, What Me Worry? It's P O D R Z E B I E. <laughs> I realize when I say the name, it's like no one's ever going to be able to type this in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, very nice, very nice. Yeah, I've listened to that stuff. I've checked that out. It's, it's all good stuff. So if you guys have liked you know, what you've heard here uh, and want to check out some more stuff, I highly recommend it. But yeah, also, if anybody out there, this is your first time listening, thank you, first of all. But yeah, I would really love you to come back, listen to more, and if you can, give the show a five-star rating on however you're listening, uh, Spotify, Apple, uh, whatever it is, um, that really helps the show quite a bit. Just underrated movie podcast on all the social media apps, Instagram, uh, all those places. And then I also have a Patreon for the show. So if you want to get some bonus content, patreon.com slash underrated movie podcast. There is a bonus, two bonus podcasts that actually go up there um, at the $3 and $1 levels. And if you want to sign up for the $5 level, uh, you get to choose a movie after six months. So there's plenty of benefits there. Um, or if you want to just support us for free just by listening, that also means a lot. But yeah, Kyle, thank you once again for coming on and giving me finally the chance to talk about a Bakshi movie. This has been a blast. Thanks for having me. I should mention Fritz goes to jail after assaulting that horse eventually in that comic. <laughs> That's so. good. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs>